The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Do you worry about where you're going to get and retain the talent to run your organization in the future and keep it running smoothly? To answer those questions, Mary Kelly. Mary, welcome to the show. Joel, thanks so much for having me today. Hey, listen, you have an unusual and very impressive background. You're a military officer. Uh, you're uh, a world-renowned economist. Actually, I keep seeing the 13th in the world, and maybe that's gone up or down. I don't know. But, boy, your, your credentials are something. Well, thanks. I was really fortunate, Joel, to serve on active duty in the Navy for about 25 years. And one of the great things about the military is you learn leadership early and fast. And we deal with the next generation of leaders all the time. So uh, were you like an officer training uh, early on or, or did it just kind of happen? How'd that work for you? I went to the Naval Academy, Joel, which meant I had four years of some of the best leadership training we have on the planet. And then after that, I was in charge of people. You get your degree from the school and then you get commissioned at exactly the same time. And right away, you're an officer and you're in charge of people. Hey, how many books have you written? I, I know it's a lot. I have 11 books out right now. I've got three more coming in the next 12 months. Yeah, so you're not fooling around. I try not to. We don't have time to waste. We've got to get things done. It's that military thing. Yeah. All right, so let's jump in. So uh, so you've got some uh, some secret, and I imagine a lot of your acronyms are military style because that's military. That's what military people do. Uh, what uh, you know? What's the secret or what's the inside track? Because we always talk about the inside track. To, uh, to finding, hiring, retaining, training? What, what, what's the trick with employees? As you know, Joel, I've got a program called ARMED, A-R-M-E-D. How to attract- yeah, a military term, by the way. Oh, I use military acronyms all the time, and I'll tell you <laughs> why. When you use military acronyms, it means you don't have to remember a lot of information because everything is in the acronym. So ARMED, how to attract, recruit, retain, mentor, manage, evolve, and develop our leadership thinking so that it works for the people we are leading. 
And so part of this right now that many of our middle folks are struggling with is the idea of once I can recruit them, and we do that right now through being very transparent, being very authentic, being very genuine in how we are advertising those jobs. In the past, people would get a job, they would go interview for the job, and then they would show up for the job, and it wouldn't be anything what they thought it was going to be. We talk about ghosting in relationships. People are ghosting their jobs. They will go out to lunch and not show up again. It's happened. So now the, the- that, that's that's incredible. I mean, I I can't I can't even imagine it. Is that a generational thing or what? It may be a generation thing, but right now, Joel, as you know, with the unemployment rate hovering right under 3.7%, people just have a lot of options. And if you don't like the job and you are, you know, breathing, you can get another job fairly easily. Now, it doesn't mean it's the job of your dreams, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean you won't be underemployed under your skill set. And it may not be in the location you want, but right now the job market is very competitive. And that's part of the thing we have to talk to leaders about is you have to look at your employees the same way coaches look at top talent for pro teams. This is talent. And once you bring them in, it it doesn't mean that they know how to play every position perfectly with the team you have. And that's one of the analogies I use because it works with most of my leaders and managers. All right. So, so listen, one of, one of the things that's clear and obvious, most, I would say most bosses kind of feel like they're in charge, uh, that, you know, you're lucky to work for me. It's lucky if it weren't for you, if it weren't for me, you wouldn't have a job. And you're kind of saying right now that the tide has turned, that the, uh, the demand is, uh, is out of balance with supply. There's not a lot of supply. And so the, the, the employers really have to kind of dance around the employees and accommodate them uh, better and really cultivate them better. Is that kind of where you're going? Yes, but yes, and yes, but not, it doesn't mean that we have to cave into every single employee demand. That's not what I'm saying. Right now, what employees want is different from what employees wanted in the past. So right now, salary, here's the magic formula. Salary attracts, benefits entice, and flexibility keeps employees. That's Mm. it. Say that again. Say that again. Salary attracts, benefits entice, and flexibility keeps. Mm. Because right now, and that makes sense because the salary gets people interested. The benefits are, they're starting to get more interested. Well, what's involved and what do I have to do? And then it's flexibility. Now here's what's interesting. Well, well, here's the thing. The first two are kind of uh, apples to apples. You can kind of compare that to other places. Flexibility is kind of a, that's a little different, right? Flexibility is very, very different. And that can take the form of whether or not your workforce, is, does it have to be there? And I work with, as you know, some financial institutions, they say my tellers have to be there eight hours a day. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to push back on that. Somebody has to be there eight hours a day, but it doesn't have to be the same person. So what if you got students? What if you got, you know, stay at home parents who were able to work in that middle of the day, that lunch crunch, when you really need tellers and other people could work part time. Find a way to make it work for your employees. And if you've got people who say, you know what, I can't work past three o'clock because my kids, my parents, my fill in the blank mean that I can't do that, then that means you've probably got more than one person who's got that challenge. All right. So, so, so me, a couple of questions. Number one, uh, older managers will find that foreign. Yes. I mean, that's a foreign, brand new concept. Uh, it may be an uncomfortable concept. If you've got a star, you're going to accommodate them in every way you can. But you're saying that a lot of people need to be accommodated. I mean, is it is it fair to treat a star differently than other people? 
I mean, where's the line? How do you manage that situation? I mean, everybody's going to start asking for accommodation. Three great points on that. First, older experienced managers do push back against the flexibility until they realize, until they it works for them. And now they realize, wow, this is a great idea. 71% of millennials say that a flexible workforce will keep them with every ceteris paribus, all the things remaining the same, salary benefits the same. But now 44% of baby boomers say the same thing. The Gen Xers fall somewhere in between. So they push back until they realize, wait a second, this applies to me too. And I've got aging parents. I've got kids who need my help. So once it benefits them, they jump on board. The second thing, the idea of treating your top talent like your bottom talent, terrible idea. If your top talent doesn't get treated better by you, then you're a bad leader. Now, this is where people get confused. They're like, well, that's not fair. I have to treat people the same. No, you don't. You have to treat people based on who they are and what motivates them. And if you treat your bottom talent the same as you treat your top talent and you pay them the same and you treat them the same, your top talent is going to leave you and they should there there must be there must be a legal issue in there somewhere because there there would be attorneys who say that and listen better people get paid more and there's got to be some way but you know but we have all this stuff women and men have to get paid the same and this and this has to get paid the same and uh, i mean there must be some complicated issues that are that are in there i mean it just can't be as simple as what you're saying Well, I was, as you know, I was an HR director for about 3000 people and I'm pretty familiar with HR law and all that happy stuff that makes the world go round along with money. And I will tell you that fair is fair, but it doesn't mean the same. So treating people fairly based on what they need. So some person may say, hey, you know what? I really need to uh, telework two days a week because I've got an aging mom. And that's when you go, okay, great. So how do you make this fair? Well, you can't have a telework policy for one person and not everybody. Many people push back against this idea of teleworking until they realize that the average person who teleworks is 49 years old, makes over $70,000 a year and works for a company with over 100 people in it. And they are professional. And they wind up getting more out of those people who are teleworking, partly because the people who are teleworking, you give those your stars the telework option first to see if it's going to work. And then you hold, and then when you add other people to it, you still hold people accountable. And this is the leadership issue. This is where Yahoo got into trouble a few years ago because they found out they had people on the payroll who had actually been deceased for a while and nobody had noticed. This is a leadership issue. You know, I would imagine that managers probably need to be trained about working with people in a remote capacity. I mean, it's it's different managing somebody with in a FaceTime environment than in a remote environment. You know, if you don't see people, you know, it's harder to pay attention. So do you advise companies on how to manage people who are remote? I do. I actually have a program on how to manage your remote workforce and how to make it work based on the skill sets that people have and based on where they are. Because right now we are facing different, um, obviously, genders in the workplace. We've got different, I call it geriatrics, but it's generationals in the workplace. Now we're at five, right? Yeah. Uh, We've got different geographies, people working in different places. So if you are limiting your talent search to just the people geographically around you, all of a sudden you will find you're either paying a whole lot more for that talent or you're not getting the talent you need. You know, one of the things that, uh, that is interesting, you know, uh, people outsource to India. I always talk about outsourcing to Indiana, you know, from Los Angeles, let's say, because uh, workers in, in, a, in the middle of the country are a third of the price of what it might cost in Los Angeles. So if you can do that, I mean, economically, that's a tremendous advantage. 
we cannot in moving into the future, we cannot. And by the future, I mean today, tomorrow, next week, we cannot be harnessed by geographical constraints when it comes time to our talent. And we're going to see more and more businesses. A lot of my businesses push back. My managers push back and say, but if I can't see them, how do I know they're working? And I laugh. I'm like, look, I've been to your workplaces. They're not working. And they're sitting at the desk right next to you. They're not working. Um, so we all know that that happens. My whole point is if you are, if you are having your people produce, then you know when they're producing as a leader, but you also know when they're not producing. You got to let go of those people who are not producing and you focus on the people who are producing. And for those people, there's a thing called the theory of efficiency wages. And what that means is you pay your best performers as much as you possibly can to keep them for as long as you can so that they are responsive as they can possibly be. That's the theory of efficiency wages. So part of that means you don't really care where they work as long as they're getting the jobs done. We are focusing more on results than we are punching a clock at work. I mean, you know, listen, I don't know how exactly to translate that theory or philosophy. Uh, you know, what I do is I like to pay people 10 or 20% more than they're worth. And that keeps them kind of rooted where they are. It's, it makes it much harder for them to leave. Uh, that's kind of how I think about it. I mean, is that the right track or is that a different concept? Well, there's a little, so you're talking a little bit about some golden handcuffs there, Joel. And, and I, I applaud that because right now we know that, um, uh, over 70% of people in the workforce right now in America are actively looking for another job. Now, whether or not they're super motivated to move or not, it means that that is time away from work that they are now spending looking for another job or daydreaming about another job. And they're doing it on your time and your dime. When you pay people more than the competition and then they realize that, it does instill a little bit of a sense of loyalty and commitment. And they're like, you know what? I'm not going to find another job that's better than working for Joel Block. So why would I even bother looking? I'm a big believer in paying um, way more than than fair because again, I don't want my people looking for other jobs. Once same, I get- same thing. Exactly. And this is, and this is part of that armed program is once you get them, how do you keep them? And people need a few things. They need a purpose at work. They need to make sure that they feel valued and respected. And that means if you've got to take off a day to take your kids to a soccer camp that's halfway across the state, but you can still make phone calls that night or get some work done. Why would I ding you at work to do that? Because you're being a good parent. Uh, And you know, I don't have kids myself, but I like children. I think they're important to the future of the world. I, I do like this idea that we take good care of them and that we watch out for them. So we've got to allow people the flexibility to work when it works best for them. So I've got a person in my company who is a vampire. Um, she works best from 10 o'clock at night till four o'clock in the morning. Now I have to tell you, I am not at my peak performance at that time for work, not my thing, but that's when her circadian rhythm works. So it's great because I can send her work at six o'clock at night and I get it back the next morning by the time I jump into work. That's a whole different mindset than we've all got to be doing this at the same time. We've all got to be talking at the same time. No, we can do asynchronous communication. We can use all kinds of tech tools to do this. Um, I use Marco Polo as a tech tool to record a video, go, hey, get this done. This is what I need. Boom. She gets it. She gets it done by the next day. Boom. This is all leadership and it's got to be great leadership, but we've got to be leaning forward to make sure that we are leading our people in a way that works for them. So here, here's what I'm kind of hearing about this. You know, 
50 years ago, the world was influenced by a lot of military related stuff. In fact, recently I drove by a, a middle school, uh, you know, a bunch of kids were, they were lined up doing uh, PE physical activities, you know, they're, and, and I honestly, uh, it, it was like they were lining. I don't know. It was a very military looking kind of thing. So our world kind of evolved from a military environment, very industrial kind of environment. The world has completely changed. Uh, many of the people who are running companies have not changed enough. How do they manage remote people? What, what I'm kind of hearing from you is that you have to measure different things. You measure outputs, not how much you're sitting on your butt in a chair. So what are some of the outputs that they should be looking at to make sure that they're getting their money's worth? Great question. So many people think remote workers mean out of sight, out of mind. And unfortunately, that has been fairly pervasive because our idea at work was if in the old days, if you're not at work, you're not working. Well, that's just not true. Right now, if you're in any, and the sales world has been far ahead of us in this, you make your sales out in the field. You make your sales when you're having contact with the client. You don't make sales sitting on your desk, looking at your desk. Just doesn't happen. So because of that, our workplace has changed. We've got to not only be out where our customers are and where other people are, but we can also do that remotely. We can do that from FaceTiming and video conferencing and Zooming like what we're doing right now. But we also have to make sure that when your people are out doing this, you pay attention to them. So some of my leaders push back because they say, this is going to be more effort on my part. Yes. Well, it's a, it's a different effort. I mean, it's but different. I mean, it is. So you got to have maybe you got to have uh, meetings doing video conference. The team has to have a meeting every Monday morning or every Tuesday mm -hmm. night or whatever you guys do. I mean, there's got to be some difference. So what are the things that managers need to do to be successful managing these remote workers? A few things. First, they have to be more organized. You can't just show up on Monday morning and wing it and say, hey, let's have a meeting at 10 o'clock. You can't do that. And you can't do that with your people now anyway, even the ones who are showing up to work, because what if they had a doctor's appointment? What if they had something else? That flexibility is key. So you have to be more respectful of people's time when you're scheduling things, which means planning ahead. Number one. Number two, always, always, always have an agenda for the meetings and always wrap it up at the end to make sure everybody knows exactly what they have to do. Three, I use a method called DICE. So this is another acronym. It's another married acronym. It's called DICE. You have to help your people be successful because many of us get hundreds and thousands of emails a day, which means you have to triage the emails that you are sending your people and that they are sending you. So I use a method called DICE. Decide information, coordinate, execute. So at the beginning, so if you can get your team to do this, this is great. It's very militaristic, but it's, um, it's amazingly uh, effective. So two, two tricks that I like to uh, share with my managers. So when you're sending me something, if you need me to decide, that's the first word in the subject line of that email. So anything that begins with, if it says decide, information, coordinate, act, I know it's from my team. And we can even shorten it in my team to just D-I-C-E. Easy peasy. So D, I know I have to decide. And then next to that, you go by Friday, the 25th. And so now I've got a deadline. Here's the magic. People work to deadlines. You ever write a college paper the night before? You betcha. Most of them. People work to deadlines. So you got to give them some. So in the subject key line, decide by Friday on Joel Block's podcast marketing. Boom. So right now, you know exactly what the topic is. And then the second part of that is the military uses this thing called bluff, B-L-U-F, 
another acronym called Bottom Line Up Front. So instead of, hey, Joel, I'm so excited to be on your podcast next week. This is going to be really fun. I'm really excited to be reaching out to you. All that junk. No, it's Joel. Topics of conversation for next week are, boom, that's the bottom line. It's the who, what, when, where, why in the first sentence, and then all the amplifying data underneath it. So right away, you're helping your people triage their email. You're telling them what they have to do with it, decide information, coordination, or execute, or act. Act sounds nice. And then, and then you're helping them sift through all of the, all of the nonsense that is our email. Go ahead. You know, I, I, I'm sitting here thinking, I think that this bluff thing, just put the bottom line information first. Um, I love that. But in our culture, it sounds rude. It's, it's, it's just rude to blurt out, okay, listen, I need you in my office at four o'clock on Tuesday. Goodbye. Correct. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're kind of trained to kind of have some niceties and be friendly, but the world doesn't have a lot of time for that anymore. So uh, how do you kind of reconcile those things? So in my, in my book called Stop the Barking, where I talk about the four levels of communication, the people you work with all the time are the people you use this with. You can't use this on you know, your supplier that you talk to once a year. It does not work. But you bring your team in and say, I want us to work more effectively, more efficiently. So working back and forth, we are going to assume assume certain things. Like with your family and your inner circle, you can assume love and commitment and dedication and loyalty. So we're going to, as a team, we're going to assume that the pleasantries are there. So we're gonna, so then we make, when I work with teams, I make a list of all the pleasantries. Hey, Joel, how was your weekend? How was your vacation? How's your wife doing? Tell me all about what the kids are doing. All those things. We make a list of those things. We go, okay. So we will assume that that conversation has taken place and that we genuinely like each other. We're committed to each other. We're dedicated to a great outcome together. We're going to have those things assumed. And then we're going to move into the business thing so that when we get on the call, the face-to-face, then we can have the pleasantries and everything like that. But right now, email is a tool. And think of it like a military tool, like a missile. We want it to be as precise and laser guided as possible. I love, I just love that. I, I think that if you, as long as you kind of establish the rules that, uh, hey, listen, we're going to assume that we're all going to be nice to each other, but let's just get down to business and, and not waste time. Uh, I even find the same thing with text. I, I just feel like if I blurt it out too much, it's not, it's not nice. But I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. As long as you kind of have an upfront discussion, this is how we operate. This is a culture of our company. Uh, we just blurt it out. And we don't waste time. People are, are pretty happy about that. Right. Don't try this on your wife right away. Like, don't say, <laughs> coordinate by Friday, this thing here, dinner, this time, this time, this time. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. No, no, that, 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 that's to, not a success to, formula. Right. You have to, that's not a success formula. You have to preface <laughs> it with the conversation. And then once, and uh, at first people say, oh, it's, it's exactly your reaction. Oh, wow. I kind of like it. But what about that? Hey, Joel, how's your day? What's going on? All that stuff. But then once you realize that it takes the thousands of email in your email box, um, and Beth's this, uh, your nerdy best friend, you know her, she's out in San Diego. She has this game she plays in her sessions where she has people pull up their phones and the person with the most unread emails gets a prize. And she's actually found somebody with something like 72,000 unread emails. I can't even imagine that. Of course not. But when you think your people are dealing with emails from their kid's school, their kid's soccer coach, the little league coach, 
gymnastics, all the things associated with their kids and their kids' friends and all that other stuff, plus their parents. Your middle managers are getting squished from their parents as well as their kids, as well as their bosses, as well as their employees. They're getting squished. So they're getting hundreds, if not thousands of emails. And there's got to be a way we as leaders have to help them triage the work they need to do. All right. So, uh, so where this all came from, let's go back to the, just a few minutes ago, is that there is a, sort of a shortage of workers and that middle managers or senior managers need to work differently to accommodate people and uh, kind of balance out the supply and demand. Let's talk about the economics of employees. Um, do you think that the economy is overheated and that's the reason that we have this imbalance of supply and demand or do you think it's going to slow down? I mean, you're an economist, so you know, what's your opinion? People are always talking about robotics and robots and AI taking our jobs. People worried about that in the industrial revolution as well. I just don't see it. And here's why. What technology does is it frees us up to do the things that are more important, the strategic things, the big things, the idea things. Robots can't really do that yet, and they probably won't for a long, long time, if ever. So I don't see the decreasing... If you, if you read articles about the future of war, people say, oh gosh, we're going to have half the planet that's unemployed. It's just not going to happen in my opinion. Now, right now what's happened is we've only got 0.7 body person for every one available job that's out there. My CEOs, my CFOs, my HR directors are crying for help to try to find the available personnel. But at the same time, they've put automated systems into place to hire, which means that the automated systems sometimes throw out valuable candidates. So a few things. First off, the millennials, especially the millennial men, are not in the labor force in the percentages they should be. So again, the labor force is the number of people who are employed plus the number of people who are unemployed. If you are sitting around on the couch, just hanging out, that doesn't mean you're unemployed. It means you're kind of a bum. So you have to be actively looking for a job in order to be considered unemployed. So that's what makes up that unemployment number. You add that with the people who are employed, part-time or full-time, the government doesn't care. And then you take the unemployment number and divide that by the employed plus the unemployed. And that gives you the unemployment number. So because of that, employers right now, I think they're looking for love in all the wrong places. They are looking for people and in older ways. I had an HR person who said, we're just not getting as many responses to the newspaper ad. I'm like, well, then stop doing that. Right. Then you would think, you would think, stop doing that. So we create, we help managers create places where they can find other employees. And many times the best place to do that is to go to your own employees and say, um, we've got these job openings. What do you think? Many organizations are reluctant to promote internally and they're reluctant to tell people about job openings, either because they don't want to tell somebody somebody's going to get fired or because they're like, oh, we just want a fresh approach. Wait a second. The people who work for you are your best form of advertising. What are you doing by not talking to them? And they're not being transparent and this reduces trust. So there's a whole lot of stuff that right now, a lot yeah. of managers and HR people are doing wrong and you see that as well. But the economics of it are a factor. We need more able-bodied people in the workforce. The numbers who are coming back into the workforce as a higher growth rate are people who are over 55. So that's a little bit scary because you wonder, well, why? Why are you doing this? Partly because they haven't adequately saved for retirement. And you and I both know that is a huge problem in America, but partly because maybe they had to take off a few years for a health 
issue or to care for an aging parent. And now they're able to come back to full-time work. So that demographic is the fastest growing that we have in the United States. But we've also got labor productivity in the United States that has stagnated. People are kind of coasting in their jobs, partly because they think they can't be fired and partly because, you know, they know there's another job available to them if they can, if they are fired. Let's let's go back to this uh, discussion about AI and, and all the other kinds of technologies that are out there and this, the fear that people are going to start losing jobs at rapid paces, and that robots and computers and machines are going to take the jobs. Um, I'm with you. Uh, that That's not exactly going to happen. But it's 100% certain that there's a change on the horizon. And, and that change means that people need to get retrained, reeducated, and people have to be motivated to improve themselves to do that. I mean, there's, that's kind of the assumption in what you're saying. Because, yes. Because uh, I, I fully believe, you know, that the change is coming. Uh, it's not going to be as, uh, as incredible as, as what people might worry about, but it absolutely puts the onus of learning and, and everything back onto some of the employees as well as on the employers mm-hmm. in the world of training and, and people getting ready for this new, you know, listen, I, I would imagine the industrial revolution, people had to learn mechanical skills. Now we have to learn other skills. What do you see? It's very interesting to me that 87% of millennials say that they will leave their job in two years if they are not given additional training, especially in leadership development. So what we're seeing is that employees do want to learn, but they want learning that matters. Um, so I love the word training because training means you're getting better. When you're working out, you're training for a marathon, or you're training for a weightlifting competition, you're getting better. And then now some people have objected to that term. They say it compares people to dogs. Well, you know, <laughs> I love my dogs. And if everybody got treated as well as I treat my dogs, we'd be in a pre- pretty good world. Yeah. But the idea of leadership development, job skill training, upskilling is very, very critical to not only what we're doing right now, but also what's going to happen. And many managers are reluctant to train their people because they view it as an investment. So a couple things for that. First, in the military, our job is to train our people for their next job. And in fact, if I, if one of my people goes, gets transferred, because you have to remember in the military, everybody transfers every two to three years. So think about that. Think about the fact that one third to one half of your workforce leaves every single year. You have to constantly be reiterating your vision, reiterating your goals, making sure people are trained for the job, getting people well, we call it a turnover situation where people are trained for that job and they hit the ground running. So we are constantly training our people in order to take not only the job they're in, but also the next job. And if I don't adequately train my people, I can expect a call from that other commanding officer going, hey, what are you guys doing over there? This is not right. This guy showed up, this gal showed up, and they are nowhere near where they should be. What are you guys doing? I'm held accountable by my peers. Now, in the corporate world, your competition is not likely to call you up and go, hey, why didn't you train Mary better? She really should know this. But we do have to, as managers, invest time and effort into training people so that they are better equipped to do their job, better equipped to do the next job we're asking them to do, and that they stay relevant, not only for their own sense of development, but also for ours. And we know that our millennials crave the learning. They want, but it's got to be good learning. It can't be that old, tired stuff where we had to sit through days on end of the same tired training that had been going on for 20 years. That doesn't work anymore. As a manager, you can 
grab a great YouTube clip, send it out to your team and say, hey, let's discuss this for the first 15 minutes of our meeting on Monday. Or we're going to have a Zoom call on Thursday that talks about the importance of better communication in the workplace. Or here's a feedback form that I want us to discuss together about the future of your career and where we need to fill in the gaps. Are you suggesting, uh, you know, there's a couple different ways to do this. One, okay, everybody go in this room, we're going to have a training for an hour. Or every time we have a, a business discussion, five minutes of that time is going to be some learning. I, I, I like the latter personally. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That everything is an opportunity for learning. So no matter, no matter what meeting you're doing, you always put some learning in there. I, I think that's an awesome uh, approach, by the way. I think that people love it. Uh, it, it enhances your leadership uh, because great leaders are great teachers. I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there's a real correlation between those things. That's exactly what I'm saying. So this idea of micro learning is huge, but that means that our managers and leaders have to have more initiative on training. You can't just send your people to whatever training HR picked out for them that month or that year and call it, call it enough because it's not enough. Are people, you think that many of our leaders, uh, you know, I mean, you're talking about these micro learnings. I mean, how many leaders in middle managers and leaders in companies are capable of doing that? How many of them are really capable of doing what the new world demands they do. Are, are they keeping up? I'm going to say all the good ones. And by that, I mean, <laughs> that's a safe answer for me. All the good ones. Because I think right now, what I'm seeing in my corporations are leaders and managers who want to do a great job. Our assumption is that our people really want to do a terrific job and they want to do the best possible for their people and their organizations and they want to be great leaders. And here's what we're seeing is they need a little help. They need a little help and a little guidance and they just don't know exactly what to do, when to do it. And let's face it, they were brought into that job for a specific skill set. Now they got promoted to be a manager. Maybe they've never had leadership training. So this is where people like us come in. You know, um, what, what it really sounds to me like is that people have to be motivated to do self-improvement and, and self-improvement has probably never been more important than it is right now. Cause there is so much to learn so much to know, but if you're not motivated to improve yourself, all the training in the world is going to make any difference. I agree with you. And so some people say that you can't motivate another person. And I'm, and what I say is, well, but the contrary is true. I have been demotivated by other people before. That's so if someone can demotivate me to not want to work, then I'm going to say that they can motivate me to work. And I will tell you that the best military leader I ever worked for was an army three-star general, love him to pieces. Um, I would go through hell, fire, and water for that man because his leadership was so amazing and extraordinary that it made me want to be better, not only for him, but for the organization. He was motivating because he was he had high expectations. Um, when there, something went wrong, he let you know it. In no uncertain terms, there was a lot of clarity. And we were all highly motivated to produce the results he needed. So, so but those are those are kind of mechanical things. What was it about him as a human being that was so attractive and magnetic that it made you want to please him and be your best? Um, well, the first time is when I, I watched him lay into somebody else and rip them apart. And I thought, and first, so there's a little fear. I was like, I don't want to be in that spot for sure. But then what I really loved about him is he would let you know it was a problem. And then it was over. Like he never held a grudge. That was it. Like that was, he's like, okay, then fix it and come back to me when it's fixed. Um, he let you know what the expectations were and he held you accountable. And he was 
you know, he was kind of a gruff, big, burly guy. Um, but I adored him because if he said something, you could take it to the bank. If he said he was going to do something, there was never a question. He was a man of his word. He knew how to be accountable. He knew how to hold other people accountable. He set expectations and he let you know. And it didn't matter if you were his best friend or not. He, he was a very clear communicator, both on the good and the bad. Hey, let me, let's, let's wind down with one, one more question. Uh, how are females doing in leadership capacities? Are, are they, are they getting up to speed uh, in, in a way that you think is, is working for them? Uh, you know, is there still a gap with men in terms of their styles, uh, their, their ability to motivate people? I mean, what, what are you seeing in terms of men and women? I get asked that question a bit because, you know, I'm a girl and, it, you know, it's a thing. Well, that's, and, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and when I, you have to remember when I came in the Navy, women were uh, less than 2% of the entire military. So working with men was always something that we did. And it wasn't, it wasn't weird because that was all we pretty much knew. Um, and then people would ask this question. And so my answer is good leadership is good leadership. There are styles are different styles can shift, uh, but good leadership is great leadership and people need different things from different people as leaders. If you've got different kids, they need different things from you at different stages of their life. That's a lot like being a leader. So good leadership is good leadership, whether it's from a man or a woman or anybody else, anybody in between, doesn't matter. Good leadership is good leadership. And most people just want to work for somebody who's going to have their back, who's going to help them advance and help them learn, who's going to support their ideas, who's going to listen to them, make them feel valued and respected, give them a purpose at work and make them feel as though they are not just a welcome, but an integral part of the team. People want to wake up and know that they are making a difference in whatever it is they do. And this is where leadership falls short. Uh, you know that I've got that book out called Why Leaders Fail with Peter Stark. Right. And we examined why, and he's been on your podcast, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and we examined why leaders struggle and we taxonomized thousands and thousands of responses into seven categories. And it's because uh, leaders just, they inadvertently sabotage themselves, whether they're men or women, um, and the top mistakes, and you probably covered it with Peter, uh, they don't create a vision. They, they find a way to kill trust in the workplace. They can't manage their team members. They're too worried about being popular to make good decisions for the organization or their people. Their, er their confidence turns into arrogance. Um, they're not coachable themselves. They stop learning. Um, they're unfair and they don't care. So any of those criteria, if you're a man or a woman and that's a problem, then it's probably a problem. Gender's you not know, the I, I just would, I just would uh, kind of close this out by saying that um, if you came into the military, first of all, 25 years in the military, you, you have to be good. But to be, to, to be one of 2%, you know, the women, uh, you know, of the, of the, and then 98% men, you have to be extra good to survive in that environment. So you must be a tough cookie, which I know you are, by the way, smart as a whip tough cookie and, and everything else. And, and just listen, you just brought so much uh, value. I mean, there, this is the inside track on how leadership works. It's the inside track on how employees think. And, and I just really appreciate you bringing that to the table for us. Joel, thanks so much for having me with you. And uh, next time we'll talk a little bit more about the economic picture and, uh, and the future of work. Hey, we'll, we'll make that happen. Mary, thanks. thank you very much. Thanks. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com.
How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.